So good to see everyone this morning. If you have your Bible, turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. And I wonder as you're turning there, if you could answer, if you could finish uh, this sentence. If I knew then what I know now, I would have what? (laughs) If I knew then what I know now, I would not have what? You know, maybe you would say, if I knew then what I know now, I would have invested everything in Apple computers 20 years ago. (laughs) If I knew then what I know now, I would not have voted for whoever. If I knew then what I know now, I would have taken that job offer. If I knew then what I know now, I would not have trusted that person I would not have married that person. (laughs) If I knew then what I know now, I would not have said those words. Why do you think it is that we are all able to finish that sentence and do so so quickly if I knew then what I know now? I think it's because often when, when we think something is true, when we think something is best, or when we think something is of the highest priority, often we're just wrong. When we think we are experts at something or we have all the information, often we are just wrong. And if you can't look back over the last several years of your life and see several different areas where you were wrong, then you're the perfect illustration of the Dunning-Kruger effect and you're probably more wrong than any of us, right? Church, sometimes what we think is just wrong. And because of that, we end up saying about so many things in life, if I knew then what I know now. So today, I want us to finish a series of messages that we were on back in April, May, June. I want us to look at a very familiar Bible story in the book of 2 Corinthians And I want us to discover at least three areas where the truth is not what you think. I want us to learn God's word in our our thinking that, that we're wrong in some pretty significant areas. And with respect to these three things, I want us to learn the truth so that it is less likely that we'll one day say, if I knew then what I know now. So 2 Corinthians 12 was our focus. Well, really all of 2 Corinthians was our focus, and we come to chapter 12 today. This is a fairly well-known passage if you're a student of the Bible. This is the story of Paul's thorn in the flesh. Let us read together God's perfect word. We will start in verse 7. Verse 7 is unusual because it starts right in the middle of a sentence, but we'll go back and I'll tell you what, uh, what it's speaking of. It says, especially because of the extraordinary revelations. Therefore, so that I would not exalt myself, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to torment me so that I would not exalt myself. Now let's see what this means. It begins by talking about these extraordinary revelations. Now in the first six verses of 2 Corinthians 12, Paul describes a unique 
spiritual experience, a mystical spiritual experience. Every once in a while, the Lord will do something in a person's life that, that just is unexpected and is uncommon. And God had done something like that in the Apostle Paul's life, but there is a danger to that happening. Often, if someone experiences this supernatural experience of some sort, that person can easily exalt himself thinking that somehow he loves God more than others or that God loves him more than God loves other people. And so it can really be a pitfall. It might be a blessing on one hand, but it could be a great danger on the other because you could end up being puffed up. You could end up believing that you're more spiritual or more loved. And so Paul admits here that this mystical experience, whatever it was, that it carried the danger, it carried the temptation for him to have a prideful and even arrogant, exalted perspective on himself. And so he says um, that you see in the middle of the verse, so that I would not exalt myself, a thorn in the flesh was given to me. Now, what in the world is a thorn in the flesh? Uh, it would be something, it's an analogy. It, 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 it points to something that's not a physical thorn, but it would stand for something that would have been very difficult. It's a thorn. It would have been something that was painful in Paul's life. It was a hardship in his life. Uh, you think about a thorn pressing into your flesh and continuing to press into your flesh. What kind of pain would you have? Well, it would be a sharp pain. It would be an ongoing pain. It would be a distracting pain. And so when he says he received a thorn in the flesh, it was something like that. Maybe physical, maybe emotional, maybe relational, but it was a difficulty that had come his way. Uh, one thing we know about the thorn in the flesh is that it must have been a terrible thing because if you go back just one chapter in 2 Corinthians and you look at the kinds of things that Paul had dealt with so far in his ministry, uh, you see that he had had some really difficult times. 2 Corinthians 11 says that Paul was imprisoned, that he experienced beatings. He five times received 40 lashes minus one. That meant that they beat him within an inch of his life. Three times he was beaten with rods. Three times he was shipwrecked. He was stoned. He was hungry. He was thirsty. He was exposed to the cold. Paul went through some real hardships. But even in light of all of that, whatever this is, this thorn in the flesh was something that bothered Paul, something that was difficult for Paul. This wasn't a man who just complained at the drop of a hat. This was a man who'd been some, through some great hardship, but this thorn was something, was something different. Now, what specifically was the thorn? You know, a lot of people have speculated, people have said maybe it was an adversary. It was someone who just, and every pastor knows this story, it was just someone who just, just caused problems at every turn. Somebody that always complained and always looked for reasons to be negative. And so it could have been an adversary. Certainly Paul had adversaries. Uh, some have suggested it's a bad temper. Uh, that Paul would lose his temper with, with people when he would be uh, aggravated. And, and perhaps it was a bad temper. Some people believe it was 
uh, sexual temptation, that Paul struggled with temptation uh, in that way. S- some, some believe it was stuttering. There's some evidence that Paul may have been a stutterer and that that would have made his communication more difficult. Some people suggest that it was an embarrassing or a debilitating physical deformity. Uh, maybe something that had happened 14 years ago when he experienced this uh, this this uh, supernatural visitation of the Lord, or maybe it was something he was born with. Uh, who, who knows? But it could be something, some physical deformity that was embarrassing or debilitating. Some people believe it was poor eyesight. Uh, there's evidence throughout the letters that Paul wrote that he could not see very well. And uh, we don't know how poorly he could see, but that might have been the thorn in the flesh. And then people have suggested all kinds of medical issues. In fact, I skimmed a book this week by a scholar, a New Testament scholar, Kenneth Birding. Uh, the title of the book, Paul's Thorn in the Flesh, New Clues for an Old Problem. Long book, uh, almost 300 pages. And he finds, it's interesting, 20 different pieces of evidence in the New Testament pointing to the definition of the thorn And he comes up at the end of the book with this. You don't have to read the book. You just, this is it. The rest of the book is a waste. It could have been a one-page book. (laughs) He says it was trigeminal neuralgia type 1. I'm sure I'm saying that wrong. You have to ask one of the doctors in the church this morning. I have no idea what that is, but he said it was Paul's thorn in the flesh. Uh, Listen, the reference in the Bible is vague on purpose because the lesson is universal. And here's the lesson. Sometimes God allows some difficulty to come into our lives. Sometimes some very painful things to come into our lives. Sometimes some hard things to come into our lives in order that our lives might better serve his purposes. God sometimes allows hardships to come so that our lives might, in a greater sense, honor and glorify God. Now, there are other reasons why difficulties can come into life, and we can't just say that everything that you experience that's bad is a thorn in the flesh in the sense that we read in 2 Corinthians 12, but at least often God brings difficulties so that we can better serve his purposes. And so here, he's done exactly that. Now, you notice it's a a messenger of Satan. You see that in verse 7? A thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan. So we know that God sent the thorn. We know that God sent the difficulty, and God did it for his purposes. We'll see those purposes in a moment. But God used Satan in order to send the thorn. So Satan, even Satan, is uh, under the sovereignty of God. And then also in verse 7, it says, So that I would not exalt myself. Uh, now, we'll come back to this in a moment, and, and, and we'll see a reaffirmation of this. But here's why God sent the thorn. So that Paul wouldn't exalt himself. That's the reason. Paul experienced this experience, and there was a danger that Paul would think he was better than other people that had not experienced whatever this was, And so to keep Paul from being arrogant, keep Paul from exalting himself, to keep him from being prideful, God sent this thorn. That's what we know. 
Now let's look at verse 8. It says, concerning this, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it would leave me. So what did Paul do about this? Well, Paul prayed and he asked God to give him some relief. He asked God to remove the thorn. And apparently Paul prayed fervently. It says that he pleaded with the Lord three times that the thorn would leave. Now, what does it mean that he prayed three times? Well, it could mean that he prayed three times, okay? Uh, it, it could mean that he prayed once, and then he prayed another time, and then he prayed another time. It could mean he prayed many, many times. There, there are examples in the Bible where these numbers, when used like this, just mean many, many, many. We do that in our in our language as well, somebody might say, I told him a dozen times that if he kept driving so fast, he would get a ticket. Now, what do you mean if you say that? Do you mean that you told him exactly 12 times? No, you just mean you've told him time after time. And so perhaps it was exactly three. Perhaps it was many, many more than three. Um, the important thing is that is that he prayed, he continued to pray, he pled with the Lord uh, that God would remove this. Now, there's another lesson to learn in that, in that description that he prayed three times. And I want to come back to it, but I think there's something even more important to learn there than just a debate over the number of prayers. So now let's look to verse 9. But he said to me, so verse 8 is what he says to God. Now verse 9, at least the first half, is what God says back to him. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. If you're underlining words in your Bible, sufficient is the key word to this entire passage. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is perfected in weakness. That's God's reply. Therefore, Paul says... I will most gladly boast all the more about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may reside in me. So basically, God replied to Paul's desperate prayer with a firm no. Paul said, remove the thorn, remove the thorn, remove the thorn. And God said, no, no, no. But God did more than just say no. God gave his reason for saying no. God's reason, you see it right there in verse 9, my grace is sufficient. Sufficient means enough, right? My grace is enough for you. You think you need this, this, and that, and you think you need the thorn to be removed, but I'm telling you, my grace is enough. Why? For my power is perfected in weakness. We'll come back to that. Now, Paul responds to God's no. Notice his response. Therefore, because you said no, I will most, what? Are you looking at it? I will most gladly boast all the more about my weakness. That's an odd thing to say. Paul's not mad. Paul's not angry. Doesn't even seem to be that Paul's disappointed. What is Paul? He's glad. I, he says, will most gladly boast all the more 
about my weakness. Now look at, look at verse 10. He says, so I take pleasure in my weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and in difficulties for the sake of Christ. For when I'm weak, then I'm strong. If there's a key word in this verse, it's the word pleasure. That makes this verse even more odd than the verse that precedes it. Because Paul here says that he takes pleasure in the thorn. He said he was, what, glad in the previous verse. Now he's taking pleasure. But if you notice in verse 10, he's not just taking pleasure in the thorn. He's taking pleasure in some other things. He's taking pleasure in his weaknesses, in his insults, in his hardships, in his persecutions, and in his difficulties. He's taking pleasure. Has he lost his mind? So why is he doing this? Well, he says, gives his reason at the end of verse 10, for the sake of Christ, for the sake of Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Now, I said we would discover uh, that in at least three areas, what we think is, is untrue. What we often think is untrue. And these discoveries, the, these lessons, uh, are things that people generally learn late in life. And that's why we say, if I had known then what I know now. But there are things that we can learn today. And if we'll learn these three things, it will make it less likely that we will have to say, if I knew then what I know now. So let's look at these three, and they'll take us back to this passage we're reading. But the first one, what is the worst thing that could happen to you? It's not what you think, but what do you think? What is the worst thing that could happen to you? I'm not going to ask you to uh, reply aloud, of course, but think about it. What do you fear most? What's the worst thing that could happen to you? Is it illness? A diagnosis? Is it failure? Is it that you'll lose something valuable? Well, it's not what you think. So let's look back at the passage. Why did the Lord give the thorn to Paul? Well, specifically, we saw it so that he would not exalt himself. God gave the thorn so that Paul wouldn't sin. You see that? Paul could have sinned. Paul could have had this prideful attitude. Paul could have exalted himself above others. But God gave him the thorn to keep that from happening. Paul gave him a thorn so that, at least in this way, Paul wouldn't sin. So God is saying, listen, there's something worse than sickness. It's sin. I mean, if the thorn was sickness... Paul gives him the thorn to keep him from the sin. So what is, Paul, uh, what is the Lord saying? God gives him the thorn. God is saying that sin is worse than sickness. God is saying something is worse than pain. The thorn was painful. But there's something worse than pain, and that is pride. God is saying that there's something worse than difficulty, and that is disobedience. See, it's not what you thought. 
It's not what I thought. There's, there's something worse than having hardship. There's something worse than having a thorn. There's something worse than having difficulty or adversaries or critics or a bad boss or, or poverty or challenges. The surprising truth is that the worst thing that could happen to you, the worst thing that could happen to me is that we might sin against a holy God and a loving Father. That's worse. I, was, I read what a lot of people said about this this week. You may know the name Warren Wearsby, a preacher and a writer. He says, the healthy person who is rebelling against God is in worse shape than the suffering person who is submitting to God and enjoying God's grace. Would you rather be sick and walking with God? Or would you rather be healthy and your life filled with sin? The Lord was saying to Paul, it's better for you to have a thorn than for you to have the sin. Another writer said, God would rather you limp into heaven than strut into hell. You ever heard that? In today's culture, we do so many things to try to avoid illness. I'm for most all of these things for you. Uh, vitamins, supplements. Did you take some this morning? So many people consume that probiotic green slime every morning. <laughs> people watch their cholesterol. They take their blood pressure. They endure mammograms and prostate exams. And all that is good. But what if one day we stand before the Lord and we learn that sin was worse than sickness? That's exactly what God's teaching us here. The Lord said it would be better for Paul to have the terrible thorn than corrupting conceit. He said it was better to have a devastating diagnosis than systemic sin. If I knew then what I know now, suppose for a minute that this is true, what would you, your heavenly resurrected self, one day with the Lord, what would that version of you say to today's version of you? Would that version of you say, take more supplements? <laughs> or would that version of you Say, flee temptation. I think we'll say, if I knew then what I know now, I would understand that sin is worse than anything. Now, that brings us to the second, second question and the second thing that's not what it seems. When should you stop praying? When should you stop praying? And you all have an answer in your mind, but I'm telling you, it's not what you think. When have we prayed enough? When would it be wrong for us to continue to pray? Now, I know those of you who are Bible students, you're thinking of a verse, right? 
1 Thessalonians 5.17. Come on, church, you're letting me down. I bet the summit service got it. 1 Thessalonians 5.17 says, pray without ceasing. There you go. You knew it. And you're thinking, Pastor, you've got this one wrong. Pastor, we are to never stop praying for something. Well, maybe it's not what you think. Let's look back to verse 8. Paul said, concerning this, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it would leave me. Now, not only does that tell us that Paul prayed that the thorn would be removed, but it also tells us that at some point, Paul stopped praying. When it says he prayed three times and then something else, that tells us whether three was three or three was a dozen, it tells us that Paul prayed and he pleaded, but then Paul stopped praying. You see that in the past tense, completed, perfect word, pleaded. It's over. And then you see it in the next verse when Paul says, therefore, I prayed, now, therefore, I've finished praying, here's what's next. Paul is saying that instead of praying for the thorn to be removed, now, after he does that, he gladly boasts in his weakness. So, Pastor, what are you, what are you teaching us? Well, I'm not really saying that you should stop praying, so don't, don't put that on Twitter. Um, I'm saying that there comes a point when we ought to change the nature of our prayers. Uh, you may know the name Adrian Rogers, uh, pastor of a generation ago. He was uh, once asked the question, what should you do when you get sick? What should you do when you have a hardship? And he made everything start with the same letter. Uh, so it's interesting. He said, first, you should pray to escape it. Uh, and that's what Paul did, right? Prayed three times, Lord, remove this thorn. Can you think of somebody else in the Bible who prayed three times that God would remove a hardship? Jesus. Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane prayed three times, Lord, take this cup from me. Exactly three times he prayed it. So Adrian Rogers says correctly that the first thing we should do if we're sick is we should pray to escape it. Lord, take this thorn away. He said, secondly, though, you should pray to endure it. God, give me the strength, the grace to endure hardship. Verse 9, we see that Paul heard from the Lord, my grace is sufficient for you. I'm going to give you enough grace. It's going to be enough for you to endure. So Rogers said, pray to escape it, pray to endure it, but then pray to enlist it. See, Paul didn't stop praying, but Paul's prayer changed from escape to enlist. Look again at verse 9, halfway through. Paul says, therefore, I will most gladly boast all the more about my weakness so that Christ's power may reside in me. So Paul's prayer started, get it out of here. Remove it. I want an escape. But then it turned into, I can endure because God's grace is enough. 
But then it turned into something entirely different. Lord, I'm going to use this to bring honor and glory to you. You see, you pray to escape, you pray to endure, but then you pray to enlist. And when Jesus taught his disciples to pray, he gave them a model. He says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. All prayer is, is ultimately thy will be done. God, your will be done. But when we continue to insist on our personal deliverance and we refuse to recognize that God may have a different path, then we've taken prayer too far. Sure, ask God to remove the thorn. And then ask God to help you endure the thorn. But then ask God if he's not going to remove it for you to be able to accept it and then to use it to show people, enlist it to show people the goodness, the goodness of the Lord. What if we prayed like this? Lord, use this thorn to teach me how to better depend on you. What if we prayed like this, Lord, use this hardship to increase my wisdom, to make me a wise man, woman. Lord, use this thorn to teach me to pray. Use this thorn to keep me humble. Use this thorn to connect to me better to the church and to others. It's interesting, uh, Calvin, John Calvin, 16th century reformer, I was reading what he had to say about this this week, and he said, and I thought this was interesting, that God and Paul had the same end in mind, the same goal. What was Paul's goal? That he would get relief from the thorn. What was God's goal? That Paul would get relief from the thorn. What was different was the means. The end was the same, but the means to the end was different. Paul thought that the way, to get, the way to get relief from the thorn was for God to remove it. God thought the way to get relief from the thorn was for God to give Paul the grace to endure it and then to, and then to enlist it. What if instead of just asking God to remove the thorn, you were to ask God to give you relief by giving you grace to endure and the strength to enlist it. You, you, you know what? Everybody prays. Did you know that? Christians pray, but we're not the only people that pray. Uh, Muslims pray. Hindus pray. Believers pray. But if they were honest, agnostics pray. Atheists pray. When things get bad enough, everybody prays. So how is... Our prayer different than the prayers of our lost neighbors. There should be a difference, right? Well, all your unsaved neighbor can pray when life is hard. The only thing he can pray, she can pray is, God, rescue me, rescue me. But we can pray a better prayer. We can say, Lord, things are hard down here. I need your help. But I have full confidence and full trust in your love and your grace that you will either rescue me or you'll give me the grace to endure and the opportunity to use this for your glory. See, it's a different prayer. It's a different prayer. Are we praying like a lost person 
God, I've got to have you rescue me. Are we coming boldly before the throne of grace and saying, God, I just want to serve you. So I want us to practice. I want us to practice. Uh, do you have a thorn? Can you think of a thorn? If you can't, your neighbor can think of a thorn for you. Maybe your neighbor is your thorn. Have you prayed that God would take it away? I have. Mm. It's not wrong to pray that way. You keep praying that way. God, take it away, take it away. But I want us to say a different prayer today. Let's do this. Head bowed, eyes closed in both rooms and both worship areas. We're going to take a few seconds and I want you just to ask God to take that thorn, that hardship, that painful thing, that difficulty, that betrayal, that insult. I want you to ask God to take that thorn and use it for his good in your life and the lives of those around you. Lord, if you won't take it away, use it. Lord, if you won't take it away, show me how I can use it for you. Father in heaven, I got some thorns. I don't like any of them. And if it were up to me, I'd say just take every single one of them away. I know you can do that. But also know there are things more important than that. I'm here to serve you. And if you want me to carry this thorn, to endure this pain, show me how I can use this for your honor, for your goodness, for your glory. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's look at number three very quickly. How can endurance be sinful? Uh, it's not what you think. Uh, in one sense, endurance is not sinful. Uh, Bible says in Hebrews 12, 1, let us run with endurance. You see, Jesus said something very similar as well. However, there, there is more to how a Christian handles adversity to just, than just endurance. If you look back at verse 9, halfway through, he says, Therefore, I will most gladly boast all the more about my weakness, so that Christ's power might reside in me. He's not just saying, Lord, help me grin and bear it. He's saying more than that. And then in verse 10, he says it again, so I take pleasure. And he goes to the end of verse 10, for when I'm weak, then I'll be strong. Paul, Paul's not just saying he's going to endure, that he's going to grin and bear it, that he's just going to survive to the end. No, Paul is gladly boasting about his weakness. He's gladly, hey, look, I got a thorn. Paul says he's taking pleasure in weakness, insults, hardships, persecutions, and difficulties. Paul's not mad and bitter at God. He's not angry or frustrated or disappointed. Paul believes with this thorn that God has blessed him. Isn't that nuts? Only a Christian could understand that. Paul believes that he's been given a great gift, that this thorn, as terrible as it is, it's a great gift. Paul believes that he's received a promotion, and it's, it's called a thorn. He is glad, and he's taking pleasure in his situation. He believes that the hardship, the pain, the weakness, and the difficulties, even the insults are all just another better opportunity for him to show God's grace to those around him. Let's say that somebody gave me or that I showed you a bulletproof vest or sport coat. And I said that this sport coat can withstand uh, 
the, a shot from a high-powered rifle. Uh, now, how can I prove that to you? Just by holding it up? You wouldn't believe that. I could prove it to you by uh, letting somebody shoot me with a high-powered rifle. I, uh, I bought a table saw a while back, a year ago, and it's one of these table saws that is guaranteed not to cut you. And they demonstrate it by, now, first of all, you laugh because you don't believe it, right? Table saw cuts people's hands off every day. How could you be convinced that this table saw couldn't cut a person? So I tell you what they do in the little advertising video, they turn the table saw on and they take a raw hot dog and they put it on that spinning blade and it stops, doesn't cut, doesn't even scratch the hot dog. Now, if I showed you my cell phone and I said that this phone, you could throw it in 100 feet of water and leave it for three days and it wouldn't get messed up. How could I prove it to you? You wouldn't believe that. How could I prove it to you? Pitch it in the water. You see, the only way to prove something is to demonstrate it. So if we tell the world that God's grace, mercy, and peace is sufficient to produce joy even if you have terminal cancer. The world won't believe that. So God lets some people show them. And that's a thorn. But it's an opportunity to show that when I'm weak, he is strong. And to show that his grace is sufficient. If we tell the world that God's grace, mercy, and peace is enough to produce joy, even when your dreams are crushed, Nobody's going to believe that until they see someone whose dreams are crushed, who is a follower of Christ, and you see them filled with joy and confidence in the Lord, even with crushed dreams. If I, if I tell the world that God's grace, mercy, and peace is sufficient to produce joy, even if you lose your job and all your financial security, the world's never going to believe that unless a Christian goes through it and has perfect peace with the grace of grace of the Lord. You see, God, God gives us at times these difficulties, not just for us to grin and bear it, but for us to shout it from the rooftop and declare the faithfulness and the sufficiency of God, even in the midst of it. That's why Paul thought this was good. Sure, he asked for it to be removed, but when God said no, he said, well, then I'm going to see this as a gift and a promotion and an opportunity. Now, let me give you, I'm way over on time. Let me give you one more verse. It's also from 2 Corinthians, but chapter 5. I thought this was just an interesting parallel. Chapter 5, verse 21 says, for our sake, God made him to be sin who knew no sin that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Christ died for what? For our sake. And if you will trust what Christ has done is sufficient for you, and you will ask him, you will surrender to him and ask him to be the Lord of your life, the Bible says that, that God will be your father and Christ will be your savior. Christ died for our sake. If you've never prayed that, as this service in either room concludes, there will be people in the front and they want to talk to you about that. You just step down even when we're singing. 
and say, today I, I want to accept what Christ has done. But it says in 2 Corinthians 5.21 that Christ did that for our sake. Now we go back to verse 10 in our, in our passage we read just a moment ago. It says, Paul says, so I take pleasure in weakness, insults, hardships, persecutions, and in difficulties. For what? For Christ's sake. You see, I am saved when Christ died for my sake. Now, the highest level of living is when I live for his sake, even when I'm here, even when there are thorns in the flesh. Just with your head bowed and eyes closed in both rooms, Father in heaven, um, sometimes the thorns are overwhelming. And we pray you give us smooth paths, show your kindness. But Father, we know that there's something worse than sickness. And we know that every thorn is an opportunity. May our lives bring glory to you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. In both rooms, let us stand as we respond.